Jack. Zach. Just got back uh, from some from some coaching, uh, and I have a hand that uh, one of my students played that I thought would be really interesting to talk about. Hmm. Okay. So we're about three hours into a session, um, and we've been playing at the same table. And the main villain in this hand is probably around 22, 23 years old, constantly talking poker strategy, constantly trying to prove himself that he kind of knows what he's talking about, keeps talking to people about interesting hands he's played, despite them giving obvious social cues that they're not interested. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall seems fairly competent. And, like, he wouldn't make any big mistakes. Yeah, I played with the type. <laughs> Likely a winning player in the game. Well, <laughs> based on the information I had at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, thanks, thanks for clapping things here. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we really couldn't have known that he would have made such a big mistake later. <laughs> okay. So, back to this hand. Well, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you all at the end of the podcast the kind of the hand he played. Okay. Um, so I actually make it 20 in early position, I think under the gun with King 10 suited. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not always opening this hand, uh, but at a fairly weak table where the only like kind of two solid players, uh, are one is the student of mine and the other is this guy in the big blind. I think it's a pretty clear open without a lot of three betting going on. Yeah. Uh, so I get three callers including the student, and then uh, this guy in the big line makes it 120. Uh, and we're about 1,200 deep at this point. And when I'm when I'm facing the 3-bet here, I'm obviously never calling. But I think it is a decent spot to 4-bet, uh, just to, given that I'm, you know, under the gun, representing the strongest range, mm-hmm. um, and that it's not a terrible spot for him to 3-bet. Even though I'm under the gun, I have a fairly wide range, and there were three callers kind of of dead money. Right. Um, but that being said, I went with kind of a live read that he really liked his hand, and I folded. Yeah. Um, so the next two players fold, and then student calls the extra 100 uh, with a pair of eights, and they're about 1,100 deep. So, I th- first off, I think this is just a pretty standard play. I think in his spot, I'm calling with all pocket pairs, given the dead money in the middle, having position. Mm-hmm. Uh, How do you stacks again? 1,100. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you direct a huts to flop a set, assuming you can get most of it in. Yeah. So, um, the flop is queen nine three rainbow. And there's 295 in the pot after rake. And he bets out 155. Your student? No. The, okay, yeah. the, the, the preflop aggressor. So now, you know, student is faced with a decision. What are you thinking? Uh, I mean, I think the only really terrible thing you could do here would be a raise. I, I think. Agreed. It's kind of repping nothing mm-hmm. on this type of board. So... I think it really just depends on how wide you think 
this guy is pre-flop. Mm-hmm. And if you think he's raising, you know, mostly big aces, king, queen, and pairs, mm-hmm. then uh, I like the fold here. But if you think that he has a sort of large squeezing range that includes a lot of ASEX, suited connectors, uh, I like a call. And I, I think based on the description, uh, did, I actually can't remember. Did we talk that much about his general pre-flop tendencies? Like how, uh, I mean, how loose is his player generally? He's like probably a little too loose. Um, and I think he's probably three-betting, you know, light, um, a fair bit in that spot, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Then I like a call. And I mean, I think one thing to keep in mind is you have to have a call the flop fold the turn range or else you're going to be exploitable. It's not always good to think that way, but I think against this type of opponent, uh, it is a good idea to be thinking in terms of you know building your range in that way. Agreed. So I'm not sure. I mean, I think based on what you're saying, I'm definitely calling the flop, mm-hmm. and then sort of you know evaluate is this my you know call one street, call two streets. I don't see myself calling three streets with most runouts with this hand. Oh uh, yeah. Depending. But I guess, depending on how the board changes and, you know, other tells uh, or reads, you could, you could call it out with this hand or turn it into a bluff. But I definitely like calling out a flop. Yeah, so I think this is a pretty clear call. But I actually don't really like it as a hand in terms of, like, calling and thinking we're going to be good by the river. I'm, I'm calling here really kind of just to play in position deep stacked against this player. Planning on probably... Uh, We're in position? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Remember he was the first player was in the big blind and then bet 155? Oh, he so he squeezed from the big blind? Yes. Oh. Okay, for some reason I was thinking that he had squeezed on the... Or we, we don't know if it was a squeeze, but that he had bet uh, from the button. Oh, no, no. Okay. Uh, well, then I, I still like the call... Um, yeah, I think I think honestly, it's, it would be a pretty terrible call to make out of position. Yeah, well, I think he'll, his range might be wider uh, from the button, making yeah. it. But uh-huh. but pocket eights is a really bad I think candidate to to float with if you're if you're trying to to simply like hero and be good uh, by the river. You know, I'd much rather call there with ace jack or ace king because that has some equity. To improve and is beating all of his bluffs, where pocket eights only has two outs to improve against his uh, value hands. I don't know if, it, if you're beating all of his bluffs. Yeah, I guess maybe he, also, he might decide to see you, bet at you, random nine. You but probably that's don't have any ace king in your range there. No. So. But maybe some, some ace queen, some ace jack, ace ten. Well, ace queen is. Oh, ten yeah. Pair. Yeah, so you don't have that many better candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely we can't we can't fold. It also depends on what you think that this person's. Uh, well, uh, just I mean, just to be clear, we're we're talking about you know, what I was thinking if this player was on the button. Yeah. So I think if they're on the button, a big thing, a big part of what you're going to be basing the decision off of having played with this person for three hours is, you know, when they see that. How often do they follow up on the turn? I yeah. think if this player is following up on the turn, 
uh, a lot, then it's a pull. Yeah, I think, you know, he ha- the only other times he's been in three-butt pots, he's had value hands, uh, like kind of like played post-flop and gotten a showdown. But it has been clear, based on his frequency of three-betting, that he's had to do it light at least once or twice. Uh, yeah, and but I, I, I don't, I don't really know if he would double barrel as a bluff in this spot. Uh, but I'm inclined to think yes, you know, especially in position, which is why I wouldn't want to call with pocket eights. I think I would have just been okay. I was set mining and I missed my set and I and I fold. Mm-hmm. But in position, I think it's a call, not because I think that you know. If we call here and then call another bet, we're likely to be good by the river. But because, you know, we could kind of just play it as a float. Where if he right. checks the turn, we just playing a barrel off turn in the river. Because when he checks the turn, I'm going to assume this player's range is pretty capped, you know? Even though he's, like, a, obviously a thinking player and understands all the poker terms and everything. And, like, a three-bet spot, in a three-bet pot where he has some air in his range, I don't think he's going to do anything but kind of bet, bet, bet. Because he can't get stacks in that way, right. so I think when he I checks agree. when he checks the turn, he's probably checking the fold or checking the call one street, uh, which is why I really like uh, you know calling the flop in position just because there's a lot of scare cards, you know. I think like a ten, a jack, maybe even a king uh, could be a scare card for his hands. But then I also think he just gives up a lot on the turn out of position. So, uh, I definitely like calling here. And that's what he did. He called. Yeah. I mean, I think that the what you give up in terms of lightness of, a, of the opponent's range, three-betting it from the big line, you make up more so by being in position. Yeah. So, I, I definitely like the call here. So, now we have what, 605 in the pot. And... Nine 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 fifty behind, and the turn is an off suit jack, and the villain checks. Mm-hmm. So we tap in the board. Queen jack nine. Three three okay. So, I liked our plan. So basically, we're just trying to think: Does this jack hit his range in a way that changes our plan? Yeah. I. I don't really think so. I mean, I think this is one of the better scare cards for yeah. us. So also, a little, some like relevant meta game here. The the student check raised this player on a three four five two club board, and then barreled the turn and didn't show his hand. Where this guy folded king's face up on the turn, and Kev was like, "What what was he doing? Was he bluffing me? Like, tell me what you had." <laughs> so even though they don't have any like real history. This guy kind of made a, a big big thing out of it and kept joking yeah. about it, yeah. So it was a little, yeah. Which I think would probably make him a little bit more call-happy. Um, but again, I, I, I still think it's going to be difficult for most of his range to call a turn and a river bet. Yeah. So I, I personally like following through with kind of the plan we recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, like, what is going to elicit the most folds? by the river and I think to do that it's better to to try and like actually bet smaller on the turn where you're betting a size that will fold out all of his hair air but then get called by a 
you know, some of his kind of, like, middling hands, like, maybe, like, a bad queen or, like, a jack or something. Well, how many bad queens do you think this player has? I mean, I think this player could very conceivably turn... Oh, yeah, I guess it's really just queen jack. Queen... Obviously, queen jack is not... Oh, sorry, I, I, meant, I meant queen, queen ten. ten. Oh, yeah, then he's not, he's not folding to a bet there. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, with all of his queens, he's not folding. All the queen combos. Queen nine, queen ten, queen jack. Yeah. So I guess it's it's trying to make just your bear. Well. So I, I think now that this we're is talking about it, I liked, I liked the sound of your plan. Yeah, I did too. On the flop, but now that, now that we're actually talking about his range, I, I would just check behind. Yeah. So this is interesting because this is what uh, my student actually did. Uh, and after I, I kind of told him that he kind of missed a spot to, to bluff here. Uh, where I think, you know, based on his range, we're, we're just ahead of so much of it, you know? So, yeah, good job. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, so then the river uh, is an offsuit five. And the villain leads out for, I think, like 250. Yeah, I mean, I'm calling. I don't think there. I can't think of very many hands that we're getting beat by that would bet uh, the river that would not have bet the turn. You know, I think you don't think he. I think he's a lot more likely to double barrel with his air than he is to check the turn and stab on the river. You know. But what value hands is he now betting? I think he could have kind of played a lot of his queens for pot control. I think he could. I would think that if you had... If I had a hand like ace-queen, I would rather uh, get the second street of value on the turn in the river. And I... I'm not sure about that, though. You know, because if he bets and gets raised, it's a bit of a gross spot. You know? I don't know, especially with also like a hand like queen ten. I feel like that's you know that's a hand you're gonna you're gonna call with. There's no real value in, in betting again. Uh, so you're saying if he's holding queen ten? Yeah. Yeah, I think if he is holding queen ten, he's likely to check the turn and the river. I guess I guess it's really those types of hands that this decision kind of hinges on. Yeah. Are hands like. I just, I just don't think he like queen ten and king queen. Like all of his complete error, I don't think he's he's checking the turn, you know, and stabbing river. Like I think if he gives up with his complete error, he's not gonna then just like barrel a blank river. You know what I mean? I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, I I think for this sizing, it's just very much weighted towards a value hand. Which hand? I think like a middling value hand. I think like an ace, ace queen, king queen, uh, maybe queen ten. You know, I think he definitely double barrels queen jack. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not that convinced there are that many queen ten hands yeah. in his range in the first place. You're right. He also, you know, the the hero in this hand is getting a very good price. You know, under under half pot against a player who's definitely, you know, capable of three-betting light, even if we've never seen, seen him kind of get into this spot before. 
Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about the value of raising? Uh, because again, I think like the best possible hand you can have here is like it was clean. Right? I I don't really like a raise. Because mm-hmm. I don't see what we're really representing. I guess King Ten is the only hand I can really think of that we would play this way if we raise. Yeah. I guess because on the turn any type of value hand you're gonna bet. Yeah. Yeah. So I personally like a call. Mm-hmm. It's because I think that this player, given uh, I think a lot of the range, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, one hand I'm actually kind of worried about is a hand like 8-9, which is pretty unlikely that he might turn into a bluff here. Mm-hmm. It would be calm be behind. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could check a turn and with, you know, a hand that he knows isn't good, and then turn it or bluff again on the river. Yeah, and you're right. And he only has to do that, you know, like one in three times for us to have a slam dunk call. Yeah, and I think the only the only hands I'm really worried about are ace king or sorry ace queen and king queen. Mm-hmm. And I think he bets the turn with those, a, you know, decent percentage of the time. Yeah, and I think that. I wouldn't be surprised if he opts to check call the river and you know, try to induce a bluff with those hands anyway. Yeah. Yeah? So I, I like a call. Okay. Well, I, I agree with your analysis. I'm convinced. Uh, so, hero folded, and, you know, we don't, we don't know what the villain had. Uh, the thing I was alluding to earlier... Um, and just kind of like a note for our listeners, just to kind of always keep in mind that you probably give too much credit to a lot of people. So this type of player mm-hmm. who was, you know, talking about free betting light and like value betting and using all these poker terms that we like to use here, but doing so in a way that felt like you really had something to prove. Uh, and then was just playing a bit too loose. And, you know, it seemed, it's for him it seemed to be less about like, making money and more about outplaying people, you know? I've been there, don't don't yeah, get me yeah. wrong. But <laughs> uh especially in our home games. <laughs> hey, hey. But yeah, la- later later on, not not too far after, he basically hero called the biggest mid at the table with a bear overpair in a spot where he's just and hero called for two streets. Like called called a check raise and then called an overbed shove on the river. And uh, the only the reason I, I, I mention this is because I don't think we can kind of like know that this is the type of mistake that like this player is going to make, you know. I also think this player doesn't always make that mistake, you know. Uh, but I just wanted to mention it because this was a player that I gave a lot of credit to kind of at the beginning of the night. And then it was just like slowly but surely, like after that hand, he gets up for a little bit. And then all of the really bad players at the table are talking about how bad that player is. Mm-hmm. And correctly, you know? Yeah. So it was, you know, just something to keep in mind that uh, you're probably going to overestimate players as opposed to underestimate them. Just because someone regularly plays at the casino, just because someone even calls himself a pro, doesn't mean they are necessarily that good at poker or don't have a ton of leaks, even at the 2-5 level, you know? I think that's a good point. 
I think it's important to be sort of nuanced about it. You know, I think it's important to, and I'm not saying that you aren't saying this, but I just want to clarify. I do think it's important to, you know, when someone is talking about free betting light, uh, value betting, using the right language, even if the play doesn't line up, uh, it's, it's still important to take into account. And probably what you'll find is a player who does some things well and does some things well. Exactly. And if you can figure yeah. that out, then you'll be golden. So, I mean, this, this sounds like a player who is probably going to bluff a good percentage, you know, which is a, a plus. You, know, you, you should be bluffing. I mean, almost everybody in these games should be bluffing one. Yeah. But then the fact that he calls down light against Nitz, you know, I think we figured out how to explain it. Maybe yeah. Him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just important to use all the information, have a nuanced view. I think it, yeah, it is a good assumption that people aren't uh, world beaters. Just be smart about how you use the information, which I'm, you know, I think we overall do. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm sort of. It was really, it was really good until the end. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I think we all, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, let let that be a wrap. Okay. Sounds good, man. All right. Hey, guys. Jack here. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, Zach and I are looking forward to sharing a contribution from a new author on our blog, one of our most dedicated listeners, Peter O'Neill, who's really a talented player. Uh, Hopefully we'll get him on the podcast soon to record a hand with us. But for now, check out his article on uh, the use of of balance in a live poker setting. And that should be up in the next day or two. Uh, as always, you can head to our site, justhandspoker.com. Uh, there you can leave your comments or send us a hand for the show. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week.